Today's episode of the Film Stage Show is brought to you by Mubi, the online streaming cinema. For your free 30-day trial, go to mubi.com slash filmstage. Uh, welcome to the Film Stage Show. I am not, in fact, uh, Brian J. Rowan. Uh, he was unavailable for this episode for uh, personal personal reasons, but uh, you're stuck with me. Um, so w- welcome. I- I'm here with a uh, great uh, smaller crew, uh, including our regular, Mr. Uh, Bill Graham. Woo! And um, from our most recently, our transit episode, uh, Alex Heaney from Seventh Row. Hello. How are you doing today, Alex? I'm good. Well, we are here today to talk about uh, Joe Talbot's Sundance breakout, uh, The Last Black Man in San Francisco. Um, It was a big splash in January this year. And uh, I believe it won the uh, Best Direction o- Award, actually, from uh, the jury there. Um, so so uh, first off, we you can find us on literally every social media platform. Um, on Twitter, we're at uh, Film Stage Show. We're on Facebook. Uh, I think we might even have Tumblr. I'm not even sure anymore. But uh, even still, we also have a Patreon, um, which you can uh, give us money if you would like to. And then you can be part of our Patreon Slack, where we talk about so many different things. It's it's kind of crazy how prolific that... uh, (laughs) Our Slack has become, but uh, thank you for continuing to listen, and thank you for continuing to have conversations. We're also brought to you by uh, Mubi, which is uh, currently, amongst a number of other series, is in the middle of their Luminary series, which is featuring a Filipino, a prolific Filipino director, Lav Diaz's A Lullaby to the Sorrowful Mystery. Uh, like most Diaz films, this is a long sit, nearly eight hours. But uh, the movie copy describes it as uh, an epic journey through the chaos of the Philippine Revolution. Um, other things they have are the Competing at Oberhausen program, which uh, has a number of films, including Zombies. Or I should, I should say not only a number of films, but a number of premieres. Um, from this uh, short film festival. Uh, One is actually Zombies, which is a satirical, vibrant dance espousing the nature of technology and modern existence in Kinshasa, Kinshasa, uh, Congo. And finally, they've been continually adding to their strop, who who lay retrospective, who are uh, two of the most uh, respected filmmakers in international uh, well, not just international, but uh, worldwide cinema. Um, and their latest edition is uh, Moses and Aaron, which is one of Strabhule's uh, most iconic films. Uh, the the copy says, uh, one of Strabhule's most iconic films, their bold approach to cinematic adaptation was to record live singing in the desert in order to spark a direct encounter between the viewer and Schoenberg's profound music. The libretto's drama is as important, a tale of leadership, rebellion, and miracles. Again, uh, I haven't gotten to much Straubin Hule, but the, the one I watched, which was uh, Machorka Muff, I'm, I'm almost sure I butchered that, but uh, that was absolutely worth a watch. So um, if you get a chance, there's a lot of great stuff on Mubi, and uh, you'd be hoping to support one of our greatest sponsors. Again, we're here to talk about Last Black Man in San Francisco. It uh, It is a kind of semi-autobiographical story of um, two men. Jimmy Fails. Of Jimmy Fails, yes, who has a story by credit um, 
and it's uh, the story of two men who have a deep attachment to a uh, beautiful Victorian home in San Francisco and uh, just about their day-to-day exploits and uh, their love-hate relationship for uh, San Francisco. So here is the trailer. It's these canals. In the San Francisco they never knew existed. This is our home. You two stick together. I always come back to the old house. What if it's empty? What if we just peeked inside? Um, so to get started, we'll we'll do brief uh, non-spoilery thoughts before we uh, have more to say. And uh, so I will stop talking immediately. Um, I, Alex, since you are our guest, uh, what are your initial thoughts about The Last Black Man in San Francisco? Um, I'm pretty mixed on it. If I were going to be really mean, I would say... Um, go watch Barry Jenkins film Medicine for Melancholy and Looking instead. Mm. Um, I think those films deal better with gentrification um, and have a much better sense of the city. Um, I didn't live in San Francisco, but I did live in the Bay Area for six years and spent a lot of time in San Francisco. And I felt like there's a lot, like the film feels weirdly out of place. Like there are things about it that are rooted in San Francisco and then there are other things where it's like, you get nothing about the neighborhoods where they live or how they end up in places, and there are nods to parts of the city, but then you have no idea why he's in those parts of the city. Um, and there's just... I felt like there was so much context missing. Um, where the house is is a kind of a weird neighborhood that, ha- when it comes to gentrification, it has an interesting history, and most of that kind of... The context of that is totally... Missing. I mean, like, I watched that neighborhood get gentrified a lot in those six years um, that I was there. Um, so, I, yeah, I kind of got stuck on the fact that I just had a lot of issues with how it depicted San Francisco. And I guess the fact that these characters didn't really have much going on in their lives beyond this house. Um, and I felt like it was hard to understand their love of the city and their love of this house without a better, bigger context of the house and its neighborhood and sort of how they've lived in the city and other parts of the city that matter to them. And I guess I think there are other films that have done that, done that better recently. Uh, Bill Graham, how about, how about you? So I didn't have a lot of uh, other kind of past history with uh, maybe the Bay Area or um, other films kind of revolving around this. So um, I came into it pretty fresh. I didn't know much about it. Um, and so what I had known about this film uh, was very, very little. Um, I was struck by the opening, uh, how it opens. It opens in almost a science fiction-y way. And then it quickly kind of takes off from there. And for the first 20 or or so minutes, I was just kind of trying to find my rhythm with the film. And then it really started to open up. Um, I was really impressed by the end of it. I really, really fell for this film. Um, I love the music. I love the setting. I love all the characters and, and their quirks and and their flaws, and I I really enjoy that their flaws are not just kind of washed over, that they're very present and real, and even dealt with at times. And so I feel like this is a very unique and interesting film that um, I, I haven't seen very many contenders of this sort uh, this year so far. Granted, I haven't seen all that many uh, smaller films, so uh, hopefully there's more around the around the corner. But yeah, I really enjoyed this film. Yeah, I'm I, I, I'm of um, I, I'm a little a bit mixed on it as well. Like Alex, I think you know to to take a metaphor that I'm worried is almost a little bit too neat. Is I feel like the movie 
the movie's uh, characters, the, this Jimmy Fails and uh, Montgomery Allen, uh, played by Jonathan Majors. Um, I, I, I should have mentioned it earlier. Uh, Jimmy Fails, we've already mentioned, uh, who has a story credit. Uh, his best friend is Jonathan Majors and uh, Danny Glover, Tashina Arnold, uh, Rob Morgan, Mike Epps. They kind of round out the the larger kind of neighborhood cast. Um, I, yeah, I, I don't know. I feel like this film is is almost in the same way that it's about uh, gentrification and trying to find a home and a sense of place. Uh, I, I felt these characters were oddly dislocated from the film around them um that things like gentrification and um and even a a sense of place were very much on i were like very blunt and in my face without really telling me anything other than like kind of underlining repeatedly now that said i i think part of my problem was I really had a difficult time with Montgomery's character. Um, I I found him to like he's he's kind of I, I mean he's quirky. <laughs> it, there are there's definitely like a series of kind of like ticks and affectations I found to him that were just distracting to me. And that when when that comes to kind of the larger um, story, I, I found it hard. For him to not feel like a device by the end. Well, you you would be forgiven if you said that maybe he's on the spectrum, right? I I think that there is. I, I mean, I think there's a certain coding there, I, and I, I always hesitate to do this just because you know I, I don't want to. I, I don't like to assume about whether th- characters are on the spectrum unless they're expressly you know, uh, explicitly set just because I don't like to assume about it. But, but I think, I I think that is fair, Bill, but I I think there was something even more like kind of indie filmmaking one (laughs) Oh one to some of his, I, I I, know, I know that I know that's no, I understand what you're saying. I understand. I I, I don't, I don't want to be, I, I, here's the thing. I also think that as a debut, it's obvious that there is so much that this movie wanted to say. I'm just not sure that it says any of it that well. And I think that's what's kind of frustrating to me. But it's, um, I, I understand why it has really uh, stuck with people I, and moved some people even as uh, it left me a little bit cold. Yeah, I'm totally with you on that. Um I think it starts to raise some interesting ideas, but then it, they don't really go anywhere. And also, the film is way too long. <laughs> it does seem a bit long. At two, it, 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 yeah. And to be honest, it probably could have yeah. worked as a 40-minute film. Well, it was a short originally, so... Um, bef- Perhaps it should have stayed <laughs> as one? I mean, that's, that's <laughs> probably fair. Um I don't know. I, I I really enjoyed the way that this film kind of opens up. Um, I understand that some people are going to have some issues, and, and it certainly doesn't necessarily give itself a lot of favors by the way that it opens and, and how just kind of off-putting it is at times. Um, and, you know, you're, you're watching things kind of unfold and you're hoping things aren't going to go the way that you kind of think they are going to go. And thankfully, it takes a lot of right turns um, in that in that w- manner. It, it kind of zigs when you're expecting it to zag. But at the same time, it does feel a little safe at times and it does feel like it is overreaching at times, just like a lot of films that, you know, are either first time filmmakers or that they moved from being a short into a full length. Um, it's tough. It's, it's tough to have that kind of background and, and really expand and kick that thing open because I feel like a lot of times people have the screenplays written and then they refine it, refine it to make it into a short to really, really say something. And then when they open it back up, they've they've kind of lost the thread almost. And I feel like this film 
much like a lot of other recent big name de- debuts, was similar in that in that respect, where it almost loses the thread because yeah, th- I mean this movie's two hours, um, so you you have to be really really on your game. I've always maintained that anything around that that two hour mark. I, th- I think there's something really interesting to. I, even if I don't think it necessarily works, uh, you know, you look at the way that some people are talking about this film and they're talking about this, you know, wryness to the to the dialogue and the way that it moves, like how it's how it's that, you know, very thoughtful, but also, you know, uh, but just as much prone to oddball uh, movements sorry, what? And, and things. <laughs> sorry, people are talking about this dialogue as being thoughtful. <laughs> Then I'm really going to no, say I, watch Medicine for Melancholy <laughs> because that has very thoughtful dialogue and characters who have skills and interests. Well, I think, no, I, I, I think that the Barry Jenkins uh, Medicine for Melancholy is one that I've heard people talk about. But even still, uh, Barry Jenkins as well, Barry Jenkins as well as a visual stylist has become someone who's like. Who has a his cinematographers and his uh, his approach to blocking and framing is so ostentatious. No. Just as his use of music and and, and well, this uses that as well. And uh, sorry, sorry. No, let's go I ahead. mean like I don't want to derail this into like a a, a, a podcast <laughs> about how great medicine for melancholy is, but I think it's like my just just my quick brief on it is that it's a really smart film and it's I think it's the most subdued of all. It's not like his other films. It's much sure. more talky, and it's much less, let me look at all these visual flourishes. And the thing that it re- does really well that I think Last Black Man in San Francisco could have benefited from is that you, it's about these people who are sort of drifting through the city, and you see there are parts of the city that are they've sort of carved out that belong to them, but there's so much of it that's alien. Like, there's a sequence in it where they go to Moad, which is the Museum of the African Diaspora, which is right in um, Soma, and they, t- they have this whole discussion about how one of the characters has never been there, even though she's black and she's lived in San Francisco for a long time, and they talk about why she hasn't been there, and it's this idea of this, like, institution that's a big part of, like, black history and culture that gets completely ignored within the city by, like, pe- everybody who lives there, including black people who live there. And it's a film that feels like when you're in different parts of the city, like, there's a reason why you're there. Whereas in this film, it's like, you see him sitting at a at a bus stop in the Castro just so that they can be like, look, there are actually naked dudes who hang out. And like, yeah, that happens at Castro and Market where he's sitting at the bus stop. And that's a San Francisco thing. But it's like, why is this character there? Makes absolutely no sense in this film. They've given him no reason to be at that intersection. Like, the, yeah, it doesn't make any sense. Well, I, I did wonder. I, I I wanted to ask since you since you live there, Alex, is he going a very a, a distance that would be I- impossible on the skateboard oh. on his skateboard? <laughs> uh, probably impossible because of the hills. Like this, the hill that you see him going down. When you see, there's like a shot where the Powell yeah, car is going wide. up and he's going down. Like, I, I guess he could go down that, although you see him <laughs> weaving down that like a skier, and I watched him and was like, yeah, I guess you'd have to do that because that's a really steep mm-hmm. hill. There's no way he'd be able to get home on that skateboard. Like, because generally with the hills, it's not like all downhill from one side of the city to the other. It's like up and down hills. So like, sure, he could get down the hill on the skateboard, but then... He wouldn't be able to like those hills are really tough to climb. <laughs> like people think, I know I have like friends and family who are like, I heard San Francisco was hilly, and then I went there, and I didn't realize it was that hilly. Like there are parts of San Francisco where the locals like don't climb the hills because they're too steep. <laughs> uh, <laughs> there are like ways to get around it. So, yeah, I, I mean, and that's I mean the one of the things. <laughs> Like, the thing about the film, there's, like, things in it that are sort of, like, in-jokes, but then they're definitely not playing to other audiences. And then there are things about it that, like, you actually do have to know or that would make the film richer that are just, like, totally absent from it. Like, you'd have to be like, oh, yeah, like, they tell you where the house is, and if you know where that is and you know about that neighborhood, that tells you a lot of information. But, you know, if you don't, 
then you're totally missing the context. But I mean, one of the in jokes is you, you see him waiting for the bus all the time, and that is so sure. San Francisco Muni. You like never know when the bus is coming. Um, and it makes even more sense when you find out that he doesn't have a phone because these days you just look at next bus. But even still, it could be your, you know, it could be every, it could be in two minutes or it could be in an hour. So the sort of like waiting for Godot thing they have going on, where the two of them are sitting there waiting for the bus, it's kind of yeah, that yeah, that's what it's like when you're in that part of San Francisco and you need a bus and you have no idea when it's coming. Um, but I don't think that reads to people who like who haven't been in the city, and then that's not really something about the city. They kind of just use it as sort of a metaphor, and not really about something about you know your their feelings about the city and about how you move through the city. So I like there's a lot of things in the film where I feel like they they sort of have an idea, or they're they're diving into something, but then. If, it just doesn't work, and I don't know if it's more frustrating or less frustrating if you know the city. <laughs> well, I think that's... Uh, see, I, 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 like, very much felt this sense of... But I don't... I, I mean, Bill, uh, did you have any feelings about the location or, or just a sense of... Uh, or, or just how it shows the city? As someone who's not... Uh, we're both mm. unfamiliar with the city. So I'm just... You were saying that you liked... It, you, you liked how they uh, how they portrayed the city. Can you speak a little bit more sure. about that? I mean, I I don't again. I don't have a lot of this context, so um, <laughs> it, and it's tough to make a movie that sure. that's so specific to that area because you know they, I mean they do that shit all the time, especially when they're shooting in a major metropolitan New area. New York, where <laughs> you know sometimes they yeah. Well, I mean they shoot in Toronto all the fucking time, and it's supposed to stand in for New York or stand in for Chicago, and you know. If you've lived in those areas, you're like, uh, where's the fucking <laughs> trains? Like, I don't, I don't see any, like, <laughs> you know. Um, but it's, it's just. Alex, aren't you in Toronto? <laughs> I am in Toronto. I have all kinds of fun stories about how, like, I used to live around the corner from Hannibal, <laughs> and then his office was next door to the other place that I lived. Yeah. And so, I mean, there is stuff like that that that's really hard to get away from if you have that kind of context already built in. Um, so, I mean, in that sense, for locals, certainly it's going to be kind of behind the eight ball. But as far as I'm concerned, like, I really enjoyed the setting. I enjoyed the fact that he plays with kind of the fact that you know, he has to skateboard like a skier down this really, really steep uh, hill. And the fact that he hops a ride on, on a, like a, a moving vehicle or I, I can't, it's some kind of delivery vehicle for like uh, um, sure. products. And so that's how he's getting around the area. Um, and I think overall the context that maybe even we get if you are familiar with the city is he is so driven and he is so consumed by this house that he's so interested in that he will go to he will walk he will skateboard he will do things above and beyond just to get to these locations right um i mean really the thing that strained my uh uh, like credibility. Yeah, credibility was the fact that two people were riding on a skateboard at the same time. <laughs> I was I was really wigged out by that because I've seen a lot of things in my life. I've never seen two people ride on a skateboard at the same time. So I don't know if that's just me, but I was just like, whoa! I didn't realize that was actually possible. Like a skateboard's small. Like maybe a longboard, but a skateboard's uh. I, I don't know. I mean, maybe it's just because that's a very personal, like, like you got to get close. <laughs> so, I don't know. That, that was the thing that kind of strained my credibility. But, um, no, I, I enjoyed the way that they set the city up. I enjoyed the fact that he has to make these long treks. Um, I was listening to a podcast where he was talking with Elvis Mitchell, and, and he was talking about how, like, the, wait, Jimmy fails, or I'm sorry, yeah, Jimmy fails. Sorry, okay. Uh, and he was talking to Elvis Mitchell, and uh, it, it was a really interesting conversation because they were 
I mean, I guess Elvis has some background in in the Bay Area because he seemed to certainly know that area. And they were having a conversation about just like the area and where they shot and and what they're kind of bringing to the table that a lot of audiences probably haven't seen before. In particular, the uh, the, the setting of of the oceanfront. Um, or is it Oceanfront, or I, I don't even know. Bay Area? Yeah, the Bay Area specifically. Um, I think that was, it's, I think I read it was Portola, that, or Portola, or Potrero was where that was mm-hmm. shot. It's not, it's not a part of the city that I know very well. Well, it's, um, apparently, it's yeah. apparently not a part of the city that a lot of people know very well. Um, yeah, it's definitely not the part of the city that gets shown yeah, no. off. And so that was, that was a big thing for, for Jimmy specifically was to set at least part of that story in that area and to tell that story of like how the world, how San Francisco as a whole has kind of just ignored that area where, you know, all these tech people and all these, you know, rich people sure. are moving into the area and they're not doing shit for the black people over, over by this specific area. And part of it is because it's such a toxic wasteland and, and, you know, that's how this film kind of starts off with and explores. And it's a really interesting way to kind of open up this film, I think. Um, Um, I mean, there's a lot of things in the film that are coded and I'm kind of that I feel like make more sense if you know the city. Uh, I'm worried that I'm going to venture into spoilers, though. So I'm wondering if we should. Do you want to go into I I was just going to say the last thing I was going to say is. I think it's it's very interesting. Uh, granted, Oakland is not the same as San Francisco, but I do think nonetheless the the fact that in the past year we've had three films, including this one, with Sorry to Bother You, as well as Blind Spotting, and Black Panther. Oh yes, and and Black Panther. I guess yeah. So that that is now four different films that all have kind of taken different vantage points. And, you know, you had the gig economy in Sorry to Bother You. You had, uh, in Blind Spotting specifically, uh, uh, gentrification as it as it exists between, like, you know, yuppies and um, lower-class neighborhoods. And then, uh, and then, yeah, and then Black Panther. But I, I do find it interesting... <laughs> As much as I don't want to only compare these or try to create some larger umbrella term for what Bay Area actually means, thinking specifically geographically about those other films, those were far more uh, uh, spatially focused. Like those were very much placed in in one area or you were very aware that this is home. We're going somewhere that's not home. Um, so I do find yeah. it interesting about the the attempted kind of sprawl that honestly doesn't make much sense to me in this film. Like yeah. even something like Grandpa Allen and the Victorian house, like I, I I never truly got a sense other than it being a long way away, uh, how they related to each other within the city. If that yeah. if that makes any sense. Yeah, I think because I think part of the problem with Last Black Man is that you you only see like one, you don't even see the block that the house is on, right? You just see the house and across the street from the house, and so you maybe see the one house that's on either side of it. You get no context of where it is in the city, and I do want to explain the context of where this house is because it's quite interesting. Um, and the same is true of you know where they live. You see like the dock right next right by them and there's like the the shot of where the bus stop is but you you literally don't see anywhere else so these places feel very uh, like they feel like islands and you don't really necessarily know like <laughs> like why does this house if if you don't if all you care about is this house like why do you care about this house if this it almost feels like the city around it has no meaning except for this house but like why usually i guess in my opinion usually when you have like an it's I mean, people do have really emotional attachments to houses, but it's usually not just the house, but it's the area around the house. It's like the walk you do from the bus stop to the house. Um, And I guess there's something about this film that feels very dislocated in a way that, I mean, I've spent very little time in Oakland. I've been there like a few times, but it, it wasn't like San Francisco where I was there every weekend or even more often. But sorry to bother you, um... 
like watching that I was like oh this is so barrier this is so oakland they speak like the barrier i mean he says hella in last black man in san francisco <laughs> a few times it's like, okay but you don't hear any much other sort of san francisco slang and it's also kind of weird the way he only lives in these tiny pockets of san francisco because especially with gentrification um it's really hard to live your life just in San Francisco and like never go to the East Bay except once and to I don't know there's 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 also a lot of stuff going on in the film about you know people who are in San Francisco forever versus people who are transplants and who come and then who leave and sure there is a very sort of trans there are a lot of transient people in the Bay Area for a whole bunch of reasons and a lot of that does have to do with gentrification and that's had a huge impact on the city um, but again it's it I don't know how well that reads because I see it and go, okay, there's something to explore here because I know about this. Sure. Um, and then I'm frustrated that it doesn't get explored in a more in a better way. And I would wonder, you know, you want the Los if, Angeles plays itself of the Bay Area. Well, I mean, <laughs> I think there's lots of great films that are about a city. I mean, Ozzelogos sure. 31st is one of them, and you don't have to know the city to feel very deeply entrenched in it. Um, and to feel like this part of it is just about a person's relationship to a city. And if you get very specific about that city, then you can, you don't have to know that city in order to feel like, okay, I feel grounded in this city and this person's relationship to the city. And I guess I didn't really get that in Last Black Man in San Francisco because he doesn't move in the city the way people move in the city. Um, And it doesn't really acknowledge the way... San Francisco, I mean, there's, there's, okay, this is a spoiler thing, so I can. No, we can, I, I'll, I'll get into spoilers right now. I'm just gonna, I, I'll briefly okay. explain the, the third act. Uh, so now we are in spoilers for The Last Black Man in San Francisco. Um, for the first, so, so essentially what happens, the, uh, kind of <laughs> wiki summary of this film is uh, they become attached to this house and they decide to squat in it after the previous owners have a family emergency that leads to the house kind of being uh, in limbo between uh, the owner and her sister. Uh, so they uh, squat in this house until they are forcibly evicted, but uh, that also comes... In, in time with uh, the death of one of the members of kind of a Greek chorus who uh, stand in front of uh, Grandpa Allen's house, uh, D- Danny Glover's character's house. And so the ending of the film is um, kind of a... It's a theatrical improvisation that is is uh, Montgomery's character doing a, a impersonations of all of the people kind of around the community from a preacher to these uh, black men who um, really just, um, sorry, who just kind of uh, in a show of bravado kind of insult each other <laughs> over and over. Uh, I, I think that's I think that's everything. The way that it ends, though, is that uh, twisting who is the last black man in San Francisco. It's uh, Montgomery at the end instead of Jimmy, who is rowing away in a in a boat uh, as it uh, it uh, transitions to credits. <laughs> so I mean. The so the thing that I was gonna that I was going to say about it is, I mean, uh, the big spoiler of the film is I guess the fact that we find out that his, the house wasn't actually built by his grandfather, that his grand, um, that when the Japanese Americans were evacuated during World War Two, then he ended up squatting in this place that had become vacated, and sort of taking over it, and so then it becomes about this sort of idea of how the city keeps like the ownership of the city keeps changing um and how there's this sort of lack of permanence and that the house itself becomes uh, like a microcosm of what's happening in the city as a whole um 
because, you know, first it was Japanese Americans, then it was his his family, now it's some white people who have taken over it. Um, and so it's this idea of, this, you know, the, like sort of mo- people who come in and leave, but then the city sort of, the, the building stays, but the people change. Um, and I think where the house is in the city is a very, it's, a, it's kind of a weird neighborhood. So they said it's at um, Golden Gate and Fillmore. And this is a neighborhood where things change drastically within two blocks. Um, so where it is, it's kind of, where it is, is there's a lot of social housing. It's kind of a little bit grungy. And then you go up a couple of blocks and you find an area that has gentrified to an insane extent in the last six years. Like it used to be, there was the jazz club Yoshi's and then like stripper club joints. And then now, now there's like a fancy park there and fancy restaurants, and I don't think the the, the more seedy parts are there anymore. And then you go up two more blocks. Oh wow, that's more central in the city, though. I think I think that's that looked like it was probably on like Geary more in. Um, uh, in the tenderloin, um, but uh, I, I know that so, yeah, housing project up, like, shown in film, and it's super bougie. Uh, and if you where, go uh, Jimmy's father, east uh, that, a that no streets, longer exists, then you get I into believe, what is Japantown, where the architecture is sort of in the style of Japanese architecture, okay. and is like uh, I guess was where the larger amount of like Japanese population was, um, and and. But, like, where he is is he's kind of, like, right on the... It's not quite in the area that's been just gentrified. It's not quite in the area that's super bougie, and it's not quite in the area that's Japantown. It's kind of, like, this weird little bubble that's almost in all of these places, but, like, not quite. Um, so it's it's sort of interesting because it's sort of about the... It, because it kind of goes with this idea of it being this weird sort of refuge... Um, in a changing city because that's a part of the city that is changing like crazy and where there's all kinds of different factions like right bumped up against each other. Um, And I think there's something missing too about the way that San Francisco has been a place that people come to. Like it was a place that um, after the war that um, gay soldiers stayed in because it was kind of a refuge. Um, And... um, and so that that idea of sort of taking over and becoming part of the city when it doesn't it's like sort of not belonging to you versus being somebody who's been there for a long time that that sort of is an idea that pervades the film but then there's not a lot of context about how that's kind of the history of the city um and so then there are choices about where certain things take place that are interesting in that context like when he goes to meet the real estate agent the white guy who's from San Finn, Francisco. Finn Whitrock, yes. Yeah, yeah Finn Whitrock. Um, so his office is on Mission Street, and that he's look, overlooking the this, the big sign of the, the mission. And that street is a street that is also wildly gentrifying. Like, it used to be a very Latino um, area. And not just Latino, but, like, um, but multi, like, multicultural and also, like, but it's becoming gentrified. And it's an area of the city where one street, it's like super bougie, and then another street over, and you see like loan sharks. Um, so I think like it's very purposeful that they placed him there, because I think the comment that you had made, um, Bill, about how, you know, like white people who are sort of who've taken over the city and aren't doing anything for the black people who are there, that's kind of built into the location where that part of where that scene is set. But I, I imagine that's not going to read for people. Like, you have to know, mm-hmm. like, that's a big landmark, that big mission sign. So if you know the city, you would know that. But I imagine that's not going to read for other people. And so then if it reads, then it's kind of interesting, like, oh, you should explore that more. <laughs> it's too bad that that's all you did. And then if it doesn't read, I don't know. I don't know how it plays. So it's a it's a weird... Uh, it's a weird combination of someone who it's clear that they live there yeah. and no, no places 
but aren't y- utilized in that context in any way. Yeah, and, like, they aren't... It's... I don't know if it's that they just expect people to understand that or they're, like, afraid to become super specific and... And ex- like there's there's sort of a middle ground of their they don't I guess they don't want to over explain which is funny because the dialogue is like just constantly over explaining, um, but then it also like to me there's a weird way in which the film doesn't really feel very San Francisco to me, in a way that um, you know the other things that I mentioned like looking. And um, Medicine for Melancholy do feel San Francisco to me, in part because you see people, the way people move through the city, and when they're, like, if they're in the Castro, they have a reason for being there. They're not just randomly there, so we can see a guy who's naked. Um, do, do you think, well, I, I mean, I think this brings up something interesting. I, I mean, I think it's, I think Bill actually alluded to this earlier, is that it, it's difficult to try to, Make a film that's so uh, that's so clearly about a, a single place. I, I, I mean, you know, any film obviously is uh, set in a location and it has some relationship to that. But when you literally put it in your title, there's a certain expectation that's going to come there. There's a certain like conditioning that you are going to immediately think about. Okay, how does San Francisco relate to all of these characters? And I think. I, on some level, I do want to. Maybe I'm being overly charitable here, and I, I don't obviously have this context and experience of you, Alex. But I, I, I think that this is again a, a matter of overstuffing, of doing all, too much um, all at once, and therefore very little of it feels like it uh, uh, feels fleshed out in the sense of trying to convey that place. I, I mean, yeah, that bus stop thing, like, I don't know, it it played for me not in any con- social context, but rather as, you know, as this oddball, deadpan comedy, like, you know, uh, that could be Jarmusch or Karsmoski or, you know, like... Which I, is also, I mean, that's kind of like the problem with it almost, though, because part of it is that he's unfazed by it because literally everyone in San Francisco is unfazed by that. It's so but, normal that if you're at that street corner, there will be old guys who are naked. I mean, but he... the To be fair to the actor, he does play that as being unfazed. The film plays it as a as a sight gag, but, like... The actor doesn't care, so I I, I don't I don't know mm-hmm. I, I I don't know I, I I feel conflicted like I I completely understand where you're or, or I can't completely understand but I understand where you're coming from Alex but I I worry whether you know like Bill and I weren't even thinking about the absence of that context if that makes makes sense yeah, like it I mean, played I'm, out for I'm us I'm nitpicking about this one particular <laughs> scene but I could say the same thing about like lots of that's just sort of my example that I've chosen to nitpick and I mean I don't have problems with like you know there are scenes in Blue Jasmine where you're like how did you get from that one end of the city <laughs> to the other end of the city um or how do you afford seconds. that apartment? <laughs> yeah, like, that doesn't really bother me. And there, I got into, like, a Twitter fight once with the guy who wrote the F word because I was complaining <laughs> about the characters, like, walking the wrong direction and, like, why are they getting on the streetcar instead of, like, eating in Little Italy? I mean, we got into this Twitter fight about it. But that doesn't ruin the film for me in any way. I still feel like that's a the F word's a very Toronto film. And, you know, even Blue Jasmine is pretty good about San Francisco because it has a sense of... I think part of it is that people in the Bay Area tend to live their lives around the whole Bay Area Hmm. um, and they move around the city. And there's something about this um, film that it's it's weird that he doesn't have connections to any part of the city. He just sort of has his bedroom in the house where he's living with his friend and then he's obsessed with this house. But then, you know, that's part of why his character feels thin is he doesn't seem to have any other relationships he has a job. We don't really know that much about how he feels about it. He doesn't really have any ambitions or feelings that don't have to do with this house. Um, and then, you know, that sort of blankness in the character then translates to the, 
the film's kind of blankness about San Francisco because I think that's in a neighborhood that's such a rich and weird kind of particular space and you get none of those specifics, mm. even though you get a real sense of the space in the house and sort of how ornate it is and how kind of amazing it would be to grow up in this place um, under any conditions, but like especially if you are you know, a racialized minority where you likely wouldn't have access to that kind of housing because of, you know, all kinds of racist policies. Um, so the idea of having had access to that and feeling like that belongs to you, like you do get that sense in the way that they shoot the house and that's very interesting, but then it's, it's like it's almost too laser focused on certain things and it doesn't expand enough and then it goes on forever like that laser focus wouldn't matter if it went on for 20 minutes um but it's two hours and it's like i get it he he really likes the house i get it the house is pretty impressive i i'm yeah yeah i i mean speaking of the length bill as our resident expert on this i'm curious what you Mm. what you thought of you know, you know, Tashina Arnold's character, uh, Wanda, Wanda fails as well as, uh, you know, the stuff with Bobby played by Mike Epps. It's those things that especially I think underline as well, this odd, uh, this odd lack of, lack of community. I, th- I think it was, um, uh, I can't recommend enough uh, Cam Austin uh, Collins' review at um, Vanity Fair. He, he talked about how oddly um, underpopulated this version of San Francisco oh is. Oh, my God. It's so true. <laughs> it's so true and so weird. Because, like, San Francisco is kind of a ghost town after 10 p.m., but that's not when you see this, <laughs> not when the film takes place. It's so weird that there's no... And like, the muni buses are empty. That's not San Francisco. Well, I I think speaking of... I, I mean, Bill, did you, did you feel that length? Did you feel a, a sense that we were losing focus? Or... I, I'm sorry, I'm not trying to editorialize. I'm trying to keep it... No. <laughs> yeah, I mean, uh, I, I'm okay. Um, I... I felt its length, uh, yes, just simply because it was it, it does wear on a little bit. But for the most part, I feel like it it serves its runtime well. Um, I feel like the last thirty minutes of the film really, really kind of hammer home and really have a lot of emotional punches. So, I mean. It's the middle section that drags, and so often, uh, so often the case with a lot of these films. But I feel like it's going above and beyond to really sell you on this whole notion that his grandfather built the place, and you know he's got all of these attachments, and what is he willing to go through to get this home and and do and everything like that. But it's. I also got to set up, like, the death of this character that we're not really supposed to, like, at first, we don't understand why why they're even a focus of the film. And they start to evolve and start to become more more involved in the story and, and these two characters' back, backstories as well. Like Jimmy's group um, home. Yeah, like, I mean, there's so much that, like, this film, the characters inside of it is, are so interwoven and everything like that. Um, but it's, I, I don't know, like, I, I feel like it it serves its runtime, but it also drags in the middle. Like, I mean, that's, it's it's pretty standard, standard fare, but I don't know, it's... It, I feel like the ending is is everything that it wants to try and say and culminate towards, and I feel like it it does itself a service by by kind of hitting it home. Um, I didn't have any issues with with a lot of this other stuff, uh, a lot of the context and and things like that. So, I mean, I feel like unfortunately, Alex, it's it's almost like, and you know. You say that you can you can give credit where and when it's due, but I I I've also been in moments where I start just just kind of pick a film apart, 
Um, and, and it's tough. It's tough to pull back from that if you're in the middle of it, you know? Well, I mean, definitely, I'm definitely, like, close to San Francisco, so I have, there are things about it that are then going to frustrate me, but I think there are also, I feel like there are thread, character threads that are interesting that they don't pick up on, and it's like, you had two hours, and it dragged, why didn't you pick up on these things? Like, it's really interesting that he runs into his mother on a bus. And had yeah. no idea where she, like that's that scene was really great and that was really interesting and I would have liked to see to get a better understanding of his like why he feels so why he's so disconnected from his his family and more about you know maybe you like like why he only has this one real friendship at this point um, you know it, it, there's something interesting about the fact that he's. Um, like I guess a nurse at an old folks home because, mm-hmm. and, and you, you discover that right after you discover that he, where really close to the scene where he's asking, you know, would they let me live there as a caretaker? Sure. Because then you see him going into this ornate house and it's a, it's a, it's a, it's a nursing home and there he is taking care of this sort of old white woman. And there's this feeling of, of him being placed in this position as a custodian, of a city that he, or of places that matter to him but never really belong to him. And that's, like, a very interesting idea, but then then it kind of drops it. Um, And I feel like there were a lot of these threads that could have been really interesting because there's clearly some... it's, it's It's not like a film that's two hours long, but it had no ideas. You know? You like... Like, there are films where they're, literally they had a short film and they extended it and they had no ideas. But it's like, the thing that's frustrating about it for me is it's a film where there's clearly that richness available there. And I think part of the, re- you know, there, this neighborhood is part of the reason why it's interesting. And But also all of these, these characters and relationships and ideas that kind of get picked up and, and then not, that don't really go anywhere. Um, and that's frustrating because I feel like other things dragged, but like, but you had all these ideas and you didn't do anything with them. I, I, I think that it's, I, I guess it's uh, one of the most damning things I could say is that like, I, I don't, I, I think that you see, I, Bill mentioned it earlier. I thought he said it well in the sense that you see how much he does in order to get this house. Like, the amount of effort that it takes and the, you know, the, yeah, the, the struggle and effort it takes to, uh, get this home. But as, as we've kind of been talking about, we don't know why he really has an attachment to this house. We don't know why he has an attachment to that area. We don't like, it's, it's very strange to me that if I had to, explain both of these main characters I, I could say what they do but not really who they are like and that feels especially as days go by what what's what's very what's very surprising I, I guess to me uh, about people really finding some um, deep connection with these with these characters uh, you, you know it's just it, there's just a, a large sense to me that you're dealing with with characters who who exist to represent obstacles or to represent you know uh, to to constantly be working towards the um, uh, sorry to be working towards the point there are very few grace notes in this film to me there are very few moments where I feel like it's not in some way trying to create a world or especially like lead up to this uh, this final play and 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 I think I I mean I don't know I feel like we should talk a little bit about the play do, do either of you have any thoughts about this climax? I I really enjoyed it. I thought I thought it was powerful in the way that it's it's showing how in tune he actually is with so much of this stuff. Um, it, it strains a little bit against like 
trying to make him appear not odd, right? <laughs> um, because this film has done such a good job of, of making it very apparent that, that he is a bit odd. Um, and I feel like the way he goes about it is really interesting because he's basically saying, like, all of these people grieved on, like, social media and got all these likes and shares, but we're the ones actually living with this guy. We're the ones actually in this area. We're the ones actually here. And is this... Are these the people that you know, represent Kofi's voice or, you know, are really grieving for him? Are they making a show of it? Or, you know, what is going on here? And I feel like that's a very interesting and thought-provoking idea um, wrapped into him also explaining that, uh, you know, Fail's grandfather didn't actually create this place. And, you know, the heartbreak that that, kind of ends up making creating between him and Jimmy and the way that he's almost struck by the fact that like, Hey, isn't this a relief that you can, you can leave this place that you don't have to be stuck here just because of the stupid house that, you know, you've kind of folded yourself into actually believing was something that your grandfather built. Like, you know, I think I think his friend definitely understands like this isn't going to go anywhere. It's a four million dollar <laughs> property. Like, yeah, I'm sorry, but uh, you're not going to get sure. it, you know. And so I feel like he's he's doing both like this grand gesture towards Jimmy, but also breaking his heart at the same time. And I feel like it's tough and I feel like it it. it it actually plays into that kind of duality. Um, so yeah, I, I really enjoyed that ending. I, I think, I think maybe, you know, uh, take some away, take some of the middle section, and maybe uh, this film flows a little bit better. And and that ending really, really kind of hits. Um, so yeah, I really enjoyed it. Alex, <laughs> I, I'm sorry. I don't really cool. have much to add. Much <laughs> to add to that. Um, I mean, I agree with what you're saying. Uh, it felt a little the, the play at the end felt a little devicey to me, um, and mm-hmm. I, I sure. had I had a hard time connecting to it emotionally, which is something I would say about the film more generally. I don't really have anything to add. I think Michael really summed it up very well. Um, yeah, it's it's unfortunate. I think Richard Brody's review, I think, was saying, you know, it's it's a shame that this guy Jimmy fails. He has this kind of incredible story, and it feels like this film doesn't do it justice. It does need um, to be said too that this it's a little bit weird that it is uh, Jimmy is obviously a black, and the director Joe Talbot and the screenwriter are both white, and and there are some there's some odd choices made that don't seem to uh, we didn't speak at all about the blue uh Joni Mitchell needle drop but that was one moment that felt very strange <laughs> and out of place to me well i mean also the music is very like it's bizarre for a film that's that's rooted in this place that they didn't really choose music that's rooted in this place Well, I mean, there's the the this this going to San Francisco uh, with flowers in your hair song, but like, I mean, San Francisco is a very rich musical scene. I just would imagine that would have been part of his life because I think that's part of most people's lives. Um, and it's it's like very you know it's very absent from the choices of this film in a way that isn't true of, you know, the other San Francisco films or Oakland films that have been made recently, like, um, well, like the ones you mentioned, um, plus, uh, medicine for a melancholy. Yeah, no, but I'm, I'm thinking, uh, the, Oh gosh, sorry. I'm trying to remember <laughs> the one with Michael B. Jordan where he gets shot. Oh, Fruitvale station. Uh, that one, 
like I, I have issues with that as a film, but it's also it feels very Oakland. Um, it's very Bay Area mm. in a way that this this film isn't, ironically. Uh, Bill, just as a, a final thing, um, as a counterpart, do you have any films that you think really uh, represent a place really well? Hell no. Uh, uh, I uh, <laughs> I mean, I live in fucking Dallas, so there's not very many films set in this area. Um, and, you know, when they are, it's it's interesting. Um, I think the one that that I recognize the most is um, Upstream Color, which was largely shot in, like, the Richardson area and stuff like that, and I recognize some of the buildings downtown. Um, But, yeah, uh, other than that, and, uh, I mean, that director, Shane Carruth, is based in the Dallas area. That's that's where he was kind of raised for, from what I understand. I think he actually went to UNT and stuff like that, so... Um, but yeah, I don't know. I don't see that many things set in Dallas. Unfortunately, we don't have a very big film scene. Um, we do have David Lowry. Uh, he's great. I see him every now and then at like vegan festivals. So there's, there's that, but, uh, yeah, that's, that's about it. Like, I think there's like a real housewives or uh, real housewives of Dallas or something like that. There's, there's some shitty TV shows that are set in this area, but nothing, nothing really to speak of. So, I mean, it is interesting having visited Chicago that, you know, you start noticing certain aspects it's just unfortunate that i haven't lived in an area where i really get to kind of understand like some of the nuances when they make a film there because most of the time like to be honest with you they don't give a fuck about like they're they're just looking around and being like oh that's really pretty let's let's put that in the background it doesn't matter sure. that it's 30 minutes away from wherever that character is supposed to be living. You know, they're just like, that's a really cool setting. Like, let's just shoot here. You know, so I don't know. It's it's one of those double edged swords, I think. Um, when you set it in a real location, in a real city, um, you you risk pissing off people that live in that city and being like, what the <laughs> fuck is going on in here? You know, so... No, certainly. I, do you guys have any last thoughts, or you, you want to close it out? I'm good. Alex, are you okay? Yep. All right, Woo. excellent. Uh, oh, I will also say, as uh, as a Chicagoan, I will uh, mention my beloved Stephen Cohn, who oh, uh, yeah. um, who I think really just gets across, uh, especially the north side of Chicago, extremely well. Uh, and Princess Sid and the Wise Kids and Henry Gamble's birthday party uh, are all excellent and available at places that I don't have in front of me. Um, so thank you so much for joining. At oh, are the, they? The two most recent ones, Henry Gamble's and Princess Sid, are on Netflix. Yes. And, uh, well, go, go and watch even those, as everybody. somebody who's like only visited Chicago, like those films really do feel very Chicago to me. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, uh, he's wonderful. Um, (laughs) Thank you so much for joining us for this very uh, interesting film stage show in the sense that you're listening to me, not Brian. But uh, thank you nonetheless. And um, as we uh, close it out, uh, we're going to tell us all we're going to tell you all uh, where you can find us. Um, So, Alex, uh, first off. Where can we find you on the internet? Uh, yeah, so you can find me on Twitter at bwestcineast. That's B W E S T C I N E A S T E. You can find me um, at Seventh Row, um, which is seventh-row.com. S E V E N T H-row.com. And just published a book about um, Joanna Hogg's The Souvenir, which you can find out more about at thesouvenirbook.com. And we will hopefully be doing a podcast episode on the souvenir when it uh, comes to VOD. We unfortunately uh, missed the window, but we we will come back to that one. Um, uh, Bill, where can we find you these days? Uh, You can find me on the Internet, on Twitter, at CableBFG. To be honest, I don't tweet too much lately. 
um, mainly focusing on Facebook and Instagram. But uh, just the same, you can also find me on the Slack channel, hopefully uh, picking up some activity over there as things have kind of settled down in my personal life. So, yeah, fun stuff. What's your? What are the main things you post on Instagram, Bell? Ooh, um, I posted my my office that I just set up with all the posters and things like that. So that's uh, that's some fun stuff. Um, what else do I post on there? <laughs> I don't know, like food shit. Um, what else, what everybody else posts, you know. <laughs> <laughs> No, I gotcha. Okay, and uh, I'm Michael Snydell, and you can find me on Twitter at, at Snydell, uh, on Letterboxd, and uh, I'll have a review of Stuber up later this week for Whoa. the spool. Um, and uh, I think that is it. Uh, next week, we are going to be covering Ari Aster's Midsummer. Uh, so again, is that, is that a scary movie? Uh, I, I've heard it's more <laughs> about the, uh, the grief than I, I, you might want to call it elevated horror. If you, oh, boy, <laughs> so fun. I love it when they do that. Yeah, no, I'm good. Uh, I mean, it, look, he, he, he made a one hour excellent grieving film. <laughs> And then uh, it, it went batshit insane. So, you know, uh, I, I'm looking forward to it. Do, do you have any quick hereditary thoughts, Alex? <laughs> I don't. I didn't see it because too many people I trust said it was really dumb. Oh, all right. The gauntlet has been thrown down, but uh, we'll be back <laughs> to tell you whether Midsummer's dumb. Um, <laughs> thank you so much for joining us and bye-bye. bye bye. Bye.